Scripture reading is from John chapter 4. We continue our study through the Gospel of St. John. Please stand for the reading of Scripture. John chapter 4 beginning with verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria, and he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you'd have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw out water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. May God add his richest blessing to read of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word. 
We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we look to your word, that by the power of your spirit, you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, that we would see our Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up, that we would hear his voice, we would offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely. So come and speak to us and bless us, we pray, in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Here comes the bride. I think it's fairly obvious what John expected his readers to think when they began to read his account of Jesus meeting the woman of Samaria at the well in Sychar. This wasn't the first time this sort of thing had happened. It had happened several times in the Old Testament. And John expected that his readers knew the Old Testament well. He opened chapter 1, verse 1, with a direct reference to the first verse of Genesis, in the beginning. And he expected his readers to catch the reference. And he talked about Moses. And In the passage before us, in verse 5, he talks about Jacob and Joseph, and he expects his readers to know their story. And anyone who knew the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 24, or Isaac's son Jacob in Genesis 29, or Moses in Exodus chapter 3, would have known that in the Bible, whenever the main character in the story, the true story, is on a journey and goes through a different territory as Jesus does here and stops at a well as Jesus does, something always happens. He always meets a woman. And so as the first reader of John began to read this passage for the first time nearly 2,000 years ago and came to verse 5 where Jesus, wearied from his journey as he passed through Samaria, sat beside the well, he would have been thinking, is Jesus going to meet a woman. And sure enough, he does. And we'll come back to that in a bit, but now let's look at this encounter between Jesus and the woman at the well. First, let's look at the woman. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Of course, this is a woman from Samaria. Now, the background of Samaria is found in 2 Kings 17. It was what had become of the old northern kingdom of Israel after it had fallen To the Assyrians. You remember Israel had split into two kingdoms. Israel, the ten northern tribes, and Judah, the two southern tribes. And all the kings of the north, without exception, were corrupt. 
and idolatrous and the people turned away from the Lord and worshipped idols and so finally the Lord gave them into the hands of Assyria and Israel fell. And we read in 2 Kings 17 that the Assyrians deported most of the Israelites of substance and resettled pagans from all over their empire there in what had been the northern kingdom of Israel. But it says the Lord punished them by sending lions to attack the people. And so the Assyrians believed that the God of the Israelites would have been about like their gods from their point of view and he must have been mad at them because they didn't have any of his priests there. And so they imported an Israelite priest back into the land hoping to make the God of the Israelites happy. And what came out of all of that was a race of people who were part Jew and part Gentile and their religion was a mix of a little bit of Judaism and a fair bit of paganism. And by Jesus' day, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. You see the comment at the end of verse 9 that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so when Jesus asked this Samaritan woman for a drink, she's surprised. And she does not, in the passage, offer Jesus a drink. But the subject of water, a drink, opens up into an amazing conversation between this woman and Jesus. And I want us to note three things that stand out from this Samaritan woman's side of the conversation. First, we note that she uses sarcasm to hide her sadness. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us a well and drank from it himself, as did his sons. And his livestock. <clears throat> Jesus tells her, if you knew who I was, you would be the one asking me for a drink and I would give you living water. And you see her answer to Jesus is sarcastic. She says to Jesus, you don't even have a bucket. <clears throat> How are you going to give me living water? And you're asking me for a drink because you don't have <clears throat> a bucket. You greater than Jacob who gave us this well? You know, Jacob became Israel, nation name, Jacob. You think you can find better water down in that well than Jacob did? It was his well. She's being snarky. You know, most of us learn sarcasm in elementary school. When we get picked on, get our feelings hurt, and without being taught, we just, Figure out that we can cover the hurt with a sarcastic comment. And we begin to see what's really bothering this woman in verse 15. Look at it. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here 
to draw water. You see the kernel of truth in her sarcasm? She's tired of coming to this well like this. Why? Verse 6 says it was the sixth hour of the day. It was noon, as they reckon time. And she was alone. In that day, the women of town would go to the well together. It was the social hangout for the women of town. And they went in the morning or the evening when it wasn't so hot. But this woman comes out in the heat of the day all by herself when there are no other women congregated at the well. Why? The women of Sychar don't want to have anything to do with this woman. And even in her cynical comments, we can detect that this woman is hurting when she says, give me the living water so I don't have to keep coming back to this well. She uses sarcasm to hide her sadness. Secondly, you see that she twists the facts to hide her failures. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. The one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. As soon as she begins to hint at what's really bothering her, Jesus begins to probe into it. Go call your husband. I have no husband. Jesus says it's true. You don't have a husband. She's told a fact. But she's not told all the facts. You know, when a witness is sworn in, he doesn't just swear to tell the truth, but the whole truth. And this woman has told a true fact, but certainly not the whole truth. The whole truth is she's had five husbands and currently she's living with her boyfriend in sin. You see how Jesus connects the dots here. This woman is unhappy because she's an outcast at the well alone at noon. And Jesus then turns to why she's an outcast. She's socially unacceptable because her whole life has been a string of one failed relationship after another. She uses sarcasm to hide her sadness. She twists the facts to hide her failures. And thirdly, note that she brings up religion to hide the fact that she's running from God. Look at verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now she can tell Jesus must be a prophet. He must have some access to divine revelation because he knows all these things about this woman he's never met. So immediately, 
Sensing that he has access to divine revelation, she brings up the fact that the Jews worship in Jerusalem and the Samaritans worship on Mount Gerizim, based on their interpretation of Deuteronomy 12.5. Now many interpreters say this woman is simply changing the subject. I think there's something to that. Someone brings up an embarrassing Subject, we try to change it. Others have said that the argument over the proper place of worship was the number one point of contention between Jews and Samaritans, so it's natural she would have brought up the number one debated point of the day with this Jewish prophet. But you see what's happening here? As Jesus probes deeper into her life and she gets more uncomfortable it becomes obvious that this woman by her way of life has been running from God but as Jesus presses these spiritual realities she begins to make a kind of religious small talk to hide the fact that she's running from God. You know, people have been using religion to hide the fact that they don't know God from time immemorial. The Lord said it. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Well, that's what we see on the woman's side of the conversation. Now, secondly, let's turn to Jesus. And I want us to know four things with which Jesus confronts this woman. First, he confronts her with the fact that she has no satisfaction in her life. Look at verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Now we'll find out in John 7, this living water is the Holy Spirit, but at this point, the issue is that whatever this living water is, the woman does not have it. Or does not have him. And she acknowledges that in verse 15. But Jesus is confronting her with the reality that the life she has lived has given her no true satisfaction. You see how Jesus brings together the well and the men in her life. You drink from this well and you will get thirsty again. But if you drink the living water that I give, you will never be thirsty again. And the woman essentially says in verse 15, I'll take the living water. I'm tired of coming to this well that doesn't last. And we see there is another well. And she keeps going back to that well again and again and it doesn't last. And it's all these men. This woman could truly sing that old song because I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried but I can't, what? Can't get no 
satisfaction. She had no satisfaction. Secondly, Jesus confronts her with her sin. Look at verse 15. Sir, give me this water. I will never be thirsty. You have to come here to draw the water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. You know, when she says to Jesus, give me this living water, it's almost a, a what must I do to be saved kind of moment. And then Jesus immediately brings up the elephant in the room as if to say, I will give you the living water, but we cannot skip over your sin to get to the salvation. Now, thirdly, Jesus confronts her with the reality that she's being sought. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This woman brought up the subject of worship in order to cover up the fact that she was running from God and then Jesus talks about the hour coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father not on Mount Gerizim nor in the Temple Mount in Jerusalem but in spirit and truth. That statement about spirit and truth has been shaped and twisted like putty to mean whatever people want it to mean. I read a book one time that used John 4.24 to condemn basically any music in church written after the year 1800. I've read another book that used John 24.24 to argue that anything traditional is bad simply because it's traditional. And I've read everything in between, but it's got nothing to do with the meaning of the text. This woman's been running from God. She's been seeking satisfaction in relationships that all fall apart. But do you see the end of verse 23? The Father is seeking such people to worship Him. This woman, though running away from what will truly satisfy her, the Father yet is seeking her. He's seeking her to worship Him and to worship Him in spirit and truth. And that will give her the satisfaction that has thus far eluded her. Now, I don't expect a woman would have understood all this, but let's think together. The Father, the Father seeks people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And later in John, Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. In fact, in verse 25, after Jesus says spirit and truth, the woman says that Messiah is coming, Christ, and he will tell us all things. That is, he will reveal the truth. You remember John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son has made him known. Jesus is telling this woman the Father is seeking her to worship him as he is truly revealed in his Son. The truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this woman has tried to fill a void in her life that only God can fill. 
and she's trying to fill it with men, with relationships. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our souls are restless till they find their rest in thee. He confronts her with the fact she has no satisfaction, confronts her with her sin, the fact that the Father's seeking her. Fourthly, Jesus confronts her with himself. Look at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He is the Christ. He is the one who reveals the Father. He is the one through whom the Father is seeking her. So we see the woman and we see Jesus. And finally, we see the outcome of this conversation. And note first outcome of this conversation. She left her water jar. Verse 28. Look at it. So the woman left her water jar and went away in the town. Does John give us that detail? She left her water jar. Do you remember the water, the physical H2O in the well? That represented what ran out. What would not satisfy, it represented her old way of life. And now she's left her water jar. She is leaving the things that do not satisfy behind. Why? Well, secondly, you see that she found what she always needed. Look at verse 29. Come. See a man who told me all I ever did. Could this be the Christ? You see her testimony when she goes back to town and tell people about Jesus? This man told me all I ever did. Well, let's add up all this. What happened to this woman over and over again? You know, sometimes I think folk today forget that this woman did not live in the United States of America after the sexual revolution of the 1960s. She lived in first century Palestine. This woman didn't meet a new man and leave her old husband. No, it was a man's world. This woman had been thrown away by at least five men. And she had probably taken up with her current boyfriend for survival. Financial survival. You see, every man she'd ever been with in her life at some point decided he did not want her anymore for some reason. You see her testimony? She finally found the man who knew everything about her. All her sins and warts and flaws and insecurities and this man did not throw her away. Now you see the picture John is painting for us? 
You remember Genesis 24? Abraham's servant stops at the well. There he meets Rebekah. He asks her for a drink, and he takes her back to be the wife of Isaac. And then in Genesis 29, Isaac's son Jacob is fleeing the wrath of Esau, and he stops at the well, and there he meets Rachel. And it's love at first sight. And then in Exodus 3, Moses is fleeing the wrath of Pharaoh through the land of Midian in the Sinai Peninsula. He stops at the well, and whom does he meet? The daughters of Jethro. And he marries Zipporah. Don't you see? Jesus is passing through Samaria. He stops at a well. And as has always happened in the Old Testament, in the history of this people, when the man stops at the well on his journey, here comes the bride. Go back to the previous passage, John chapter 3, verse 28. John the Baptist said, You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have sent, been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. The Christ is the bridegroom. And remember, the people are going to Jesus because the Father is giving them to him. That is his bride. And there at the well in Sychar, the bridegroom meets his bride. You understand, I don't mean the two of them got married. I mean his bride is his church, his people. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. And we're just like that woman, running from God, dodging the truth. No satisfaction. Jeremiah 2.13, the Lord said, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cistern for themselves, which can hold no water. And that's who we are. And that woman is just like us. And that woman met her true husband that day. The one man who knew everything about her and didn't throw her away. And she left her water jar and quit chasing after broken cisterns that would not hold a drop. And she found true satisfaction. But something is still unanswered, isn't it? You know, Scripture says that the bride of Jesus will be presented without any wrinkle or blemish. She'll be perfect and beautiful and pure. And this woman has slept with at least six men. She's lived like hell, and I expect she looked like hell. And we're just like her. How can she and how can we be the beautiful, radiant, Virgin bride of Jesus without blemish. You remember Jesus told her he could give her living water that would quench her thirst? You know, it's fascinating the details John chooses to include. 
you come to chapter 20, the crucifixion of Jesus, and John tells us a detail that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not. He tells us that on the cross, Jesus Christ said, I thirst. You see? Jesus bore this woman's thirst. Her spiritual barrenness and emptiness because she'd forsaken the fountain of living water. Jesus bore her sin, her adultery and fornication and idolatry and lifted up on the cross in her place. Jesus cried out, I thirst, for he had taken her thirst on himself. And there's something else John alone tells us. He tells us that they pierced Jesus' side. And you remember, at once came out blood and what? Blood and water. We understand blood, but why the water? Because Jesus promised living water to all who thirst and come to him. But we may only receive that living water because he shed his blood. It is only through his body broken for us and his blood shed that we may drink the water of life freely. And that's why he gave us this table. This table is a tiny foretaste of what scripture calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. When the Lord Jesus will receive his bride, we may enjoy his table and be his bride only because of his death. And as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do show the Lord's death till he come. Until he comes to take his bride. Father in heaven, we're thankful that our Lord Jesus has met us and fed us and served us. We're thankful that he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, that we might be reconciled to you and be your adopted children. So we pray that you would keep us close to Jesus. We look forward to that day when he shall come. Until that day, keep us always mindful, thankful of the body and blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So bless us, we pray in his name. Amen.